Awesome. Y'all can be seated. Everybody sit down now. Those Y'all faithful have been upstanding this whole time. Thank you. Uh, good morning. How's everybody doing? Oh, man, this guy, are we, were you just going to keep it going, bro? Yeah. Nice. Okay. All right. Y'all didn't know we were going to get uh, super charismatic in here today, did you? Yeah. Um, no, hey, what we're going to do today is a little bit different. For those who don't know me, my name is Josh. I serve as the lead pastor here. I should have mentioned that earlier when I was over here talking, uh, but I didn't, and so that's who I am. Uh, hey, this is a fun morning, as I mentioned, a little intimate sometimes in church planting. Everybody say church planting. <laughs> in church planting, you have what I call uh, circumstance bombs. <laughs> I, sorry, I got like two people laughing. That's great. Because in circumstance bombs and church planting, anybody who's been to church plant knows that there are those days where things are going to be intimate, not for any other reason than the fact that circumstance dictates it. Meaning there'll be that day where it's like, hey, just so you know, in your congregation, you got a wedding in Dallas. You got uh, an, the ACL Fest, OU versus Texas, and then just good old-fashioned, I'm feeling under the weather, so you're fitting to be intimate today, all right? So, <laughs> so there's a 198% chance you're going to be intimate today, all right? So uh, thank y'all for being here. You've been anywhere this morning. I appreciate you joining us this morning, uh, again, on this intimate day where we're going to get to spend some time together, and it won't just be numerically that we're going to get to be intimate today because, as I mentioned, we're going to do something a little bit different. Today we're concluding our time in this sermon series called The Heart, where we have not been discussing the literal biological heart, but rather the things that we believe come from the heart, which is our what? All right, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. And, and the thing is, if you ain't talking now, we're going to put you in position to talk here in about 10, 12 minutes. So, but what we're going to do today is we're going to close at that time focusing on something that I think really kind of ties all of what we discussed together. Firstly, uh, as, as we think through the fact that as we've gone through this series, we thought about a couple of things specifically. We thought about the fact that we have the ability to have emotions because we were created in the image of God. Right, Because God has emotions and he created us in his image, we therefore have the ability to have emotions. But our individual emotions come from uh, our heart. They come from the things that we love. They come from the things that we cherish. And so out of that love comes all these different emotions. And through the entire series, what we really focused on was, was taking some of those emotions that we've been experiencing. The first one was fear, and then I think it was uh, anger, and then it was grief, and uh, last week it was guilt. Uh, and then we kind of put them through this system where we thought, well, we're not called to just follow them, like just have an emotion and treat it like it's a compass and just be like, oh, that's where I'm supposed to go. Nor are we supposed to look at our emotions and go, oh, man, we're supposed to push these away because these are just evil. They ain't supposed to be here. But rather, right, we're called to engage our emotions in a healthy way because they, they come from this fountain of what we love. They tell us so much about our heart. And as they're telling us so much about our heart, we get this invitation from God to explore our heart with him, the maker and creator of our heart, the maker and creator of our life. And all of a sudden, we get this chance to engage with him as we explore our own heart in powerful ways. That's what we've been doing this whole, like, I think at this point, this is week, this week seven? And so this is the seventh week. We're closing up today. We're going to close today thinking about kind of something that brings all that together, and that is the hope we have in the gospel. Some of you might be like, yeah, we've been thinking about that. I feel like last week as we talked about guilt and shame, we felt like there was a lot of that conversation, but um, we want to explore a little bit different side of that. Because if we explore something like guilt and shame, I think it starts to become really evident, really easy to say, oh, here's how the gospel applies to that, right? Jesus enters into our story, and as he enters into our story, he lives the life we should have lived, and he dies the death we should have died. And that death, right, it's called an atoning death. Everybody say atoning death. 
All right, we're kicking up some steam now. Let's go. So atoning death, and it means that God, through Jesus, forgives our sins, right, through Jesus' life and his death. And the thing is, for a lot of us, we oftentimes just kind of pause there and go, yeah, that's the gospel. That's the gospel, right? And a lot of us have gone our whole lives in church thinking that's the gospel. But, you know, classic pastor line coming up. But what if I told you, right? Um, what if I told you that in the scriptures, the gospel is so much more than that? The gospel is so much more than that. That's what we want to touch on. And we'll, we'll touch on that. But after we do, I just want to give you a heads up. From there, what we're going to do is we're going to use exploring that idea. What is the gospel truly in the scriptures, right? How is it more than just forgiveness of sins? We're going to use that as a foundation to kind of join together and actually practice what we've been preaching, literally. Uh, we're going to actually spend some time kind of mimicking what it feels like to be in community and to bear your heart to God. And so we're going to actually take some time to kind of break off, and I'm going to stop talking much earlier than I usually would, and I'm going to put some prompts up on the screen, and you're going to spend some time kind of engaging your heart in circles around this room. And then you're going to spend some time praying for each other, and we're going to spend time actually doing what the church is meant to do in surrounding one another, lovingly hearing what's going on, and then actively pointing one another toward the goodness, mercy, and glory of God. And so today, I hope while that may be a little different than what you are used to coming to church, I do hope that today will be an extraordinarily encouraging time, not based on what I say, but rather living out this critical aspect of what it means to be a Christian, and that is to actually be a part of a family of faith that says, hey, we share the burden of our lives together, and that shared burden gets pointed toward the beautiful work of Jesus in our lives. Does that make sense? Okay, awesome. I only saw like two heads nodding, so maybe it didn't, <laughs> but I'm hoping it did, and we're going to go for it. So when we talk about, all right, there we go, whoever that was, I appreciate you, my man, all right. So what we're going to talk about today is, is, again, when we think about the gospel, when we think about our heart, I think a, a, a week like last week is really simple, because last week, y'all know I'd be pointing at this aggressively, so I'm going to try my hardest to like stay over here. Um, when we think about the gospel, right, we think about uh, messages like on feelings, last week made a lot of sense. Last week, who remembers what we talked about? Guilt and shame. So when we talk about guilt and shame, as I mentioned, really easy to come and be like, that's the gospel. Here's how the gospel reconciles uh, how I'm feeling. I'm feeling guilt and I'm feeling shame. And last week we said guilt and shame are like signposts where they're not the destination, right? They're not the destination. Rather, they are the signposts on the path that go, hey, you may be feeling guilty because you did something wrong, but the path of grace in life is that way. Go that way. Right? Shame is someone saying, hey, in its healthiest version, we have very negative experiences, but in its healthiest version, shame is someone else coming along, along you and say, hey, I can see what's going on. It's not okay. And I'm not here to say that this defines you, but I am here to say where you're at is not okay. Go to the way of grace and be shaped by God's mercy and love and forgiveness. Right? That's what it should be in its healthiest form. And we see the gospel so alive in that moment because we think to ourselves, oh, we're going to the path of grace. We're going to God's forgiveness. That feels incredible. <coughs> Sorry. But the thing is, when we go to the rest of those feelings that we work through, through this sermon series, things like fear, things like grief, even things like anger, oftentimes, right, it's much harder to find this frame to go, how does God's forgiveness pay off here? For me, how does God's forgiveness here pay off for me? And I think that's an okay question to ask. It's an okay question to ask because in the deepest moments of sorrow, in the deepest moments of grief, in the deepest moments of anger at injustice, 
oftentimes it's really hard to be like, oh, God's going to forgive me. And sometimes you sit there and think, but I don't know if I need forgiveness for anything. In other words, sometimes our feelings don't come from our guilt and our need for God to forgive. They come from living in a broken world that we desperately want God to make new. That's a major difference. If your whole life you thought that the message of the gospel was simply sitting there and going, God, forgive me of my sins, and that was it, then I want to lovingly tell you, I think you've missed the majority of what the New Testament declares is the good news. And we oftentimes feel that. When we're wrestling with these hard emotions and we start trying to say, like, well, God's going to forgive me. And then we try to say, well, God's going to forgive that other person or I hope he does. And then low-key we're like, but I really hope he doesn't. Like, I'm mad at that person. I want justice. Right? And so there's that kind of feeling going on. There's all these different feelings. And we're feeling at times as a result of working through all those feelings that there is this sense of of disenchantment with this message of forgiveness, disenchantment with this message of of grace, disenchantment with this message of mercy. Because in, in, in our hearts we're longing for something a little different. Right? In, in essence, I would say this. this is kind of like a, a summary statement where, like, at times we become disenchanted with the, all right, we're going to get there. We're going to get there here. Uh, at times we become disenchanted with a message uh, of forgiveness because we deeply desire a message of renewal. At times we become disenchanted with the message of forgiveness because we deeply desire a message of renewal. And can I be honest? I think that's closer. I want to say that's okay. I think that's closer to what the scriptures are doing as they declare the message of Jesus. When we read something like Revelation 21 and we hear all these beautiful messages about how God is going to make new the world and how he's going to leave no sorrow and no tears That right there is not a message of forgiveness. It's a means of forgiveness, meaning God's message of forgiveness is like the mechanics of how he's creating a new world. Last week, we talked about the fact that when we're under the weight of guilt and shame, it's grace that teaches us to turn away from godlessness, right? Titus uh, 2 Verse 11 and 12 say, now grace has appeared, bringing salvation for all, teaching us, teaching us, teaching us to deny godlessness. Think about what I just said, what the scriptures are saying, that because grace has appeared bringing salvation, it's grace that teaches us to renounce ungodliness. It's grace that teaches us to turn away from godlessness and to live in a sensible and righteous way, right? That's, that's the words of scripture. I'm not feeding you nothing here. That's what the Bible says. And so it is grace and forgiveness. Those are the mechanics that begin to shape this new world when God forgives people and restores people. And that forgiveness and that redemption begins to kind of recreate them and reanimate them. And all of a sudden, maybe in your life you've experienced this, right? That grace shoots you out and all of a sudden now you feel like you're doing different things. I remember when I came to faith, and I, I, this is, this is I, I'm low-key not sure if I should say this. My wife knows all this story, though, so we're good. I, I low-key, like for real, came to faith, and I picked up the phone and started calling every girl that I felt like I did wrong. That sounds crazy. I don't, and if you're a young man here, you may need to think about you doing that. But, um, and I just simply called them and said, I just want you to know I'm sorry. I'm very sorry. I was a lost young man searching for something, and now I found it. And I just want you to know that I'm deeply sorry to you. Until I met one who said, hey, you're forgiven and you're made whole, that thought would have never crossed my mind. But grace shapes us. 
But that's the step in the process of this good news because God is remaking a world where people shaped by grace begin to show how God is remaking beautiful, making the world into a beautiful thing. Right, how through grace and through mercy and through forgiveness and through love, God is shaping a new creation that we then get to say, oh man, I was longing for that. That's what I actually deeply wanted. Right, when, when the world was just broken and, and cancer took someone that I love, all of a sudden I got to look and say, man, there's hope to see them again. This is exactly why a couple of weeks ago we used Philippians as a means of saying, hey, uh, our First Thessalonians chapter 4, when Paul says, hey, I wrote to you, not so that you would mourn like those who don't have hope. I don't want you to be misinformed. Why? Not just because you're forgiven. That's not what he's saying. Why? Because the one who saved you is also going to raise you because he's been risen, right? Be because he has risen and because he is actually victorious and because, because in his resurrection, right, he has declared his own victory over everything dark, over every sickness, over every disease, over every pain, over every illness, over every sorrow, you have hope. That's what the Christian hope is rooted in. Not the fact that Jesus died. Many people died. But the fact that he rose. You can think about a text like 1 Corinthians 15, and we're going to read this all together, meaning this whole thing, we're going to read this whole section of text. And so if you ain't down to read the Bible, you ain't going to like the next minute or two. <laughs> all right, but in 1 Corinthians, right, verse 12, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. Y'all hear what he said? If Christ has not been raised, our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. Meaning your faith in God dying for you, right, is is not really like, it's not really what Paul's super worried about. He, he knows that it's necessary because death is necessary in order to proclaim what? The fact that Christ has been raised. Yeah, death and sorrow and darkness and pain overcame him for a moment. But at the end, he was raised and he lives. Let's keep going. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses about God because we have testified wrongly about God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Friends, in, in, the, in, the, in the scriptures, right, in, in the New Testament, the followers of Jesus, what they hung their hat on, what, they, what, what, bring, what brought them hope, what, what helped them navigate the waters of something like injustice, where they could see injustice in the world, they felt the weight of injustice, where they were doing everything right, but seemed to just be getting punished and hurt. What they hung their hat on was not that God had died. It was not that Christ had been crucified. It was that three days later, he was alive. It was that three days later, he was with them. It was that three days later, they put their hands in the holes that once thought they had victory. And when darkness said, I think I have overcome, and they, they put their hands in the very holes that declared, no, I have won. Right, the resurrection is the ultimate declaration of the gospel because the resurrection is declaring that God is more than what we have, have experienced, that God has overcome the world. It's why when Jesus says, right, you, you will have trouble in this world, but, but take heart because I have what? 
overcome the world. And friend, the resurrection is what we actually find our hope in. The resurrection is why we read Revelation 21 and hear about there being no more tears and no more sickness and no more sorrow. And we go, that's what I've been longing for. And then we hear at the end when it says, but all those who take part in this, who are outside of the mercy and grace of God, they will receive justice because I'm a just God. I will reconcile the world. I will bring justice to the world. I will bring recreation to the world. And in my victorious hand, all of the ailments and the pain and everything you've deeply just, just anguished over in your life, I'll make new. I'll restore. I'll make alive again. Right? This is the message of the gospel. This is the message of the gospel. Forgiveness is in that. Again, God is remaking that world and remaking creation through forgiving people. But the ultimate declaration of the gospel is not simply you're forgiven. The ultimate declaration of the gospel is that Jesus is alive. And because he's alive, you have hope and I have hope. That every feeling we feel, every anguish we feel, every heartache we feel, every injustice we feel will meet its end in the victorious return of the King of kings and the Lord of lords who in his resurrection now holds the victory in his hand and declares, I've overcome the world. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Right? That, that's, what, that's what set that world on fire. And friends, that's what anchors our heart today. And so if you're wondering still what this resurrection means for you, I want to try to put it together in two points real quick before we head into our time praying together. What does the resurrection tell us, right? Well, first, again, the resurrection declares that Jesus is victorious over darkness, pain, sorrow, and their causes. Right, that Jesus is victorious over darkness, over pain, over sorrow, and over anything that's caused them. Right, he will smite the causes either through the, the overwhelming just, just drowning of that thing in his mercy and his grace that transforms, or he will bring justice to what is not sought after, what is not seeking him in love and in mercy. He will, he will bring victory over all those things, though. That's what, the, that's what the resurrection tells us, right, that, that he's victorious. And the second thing that I, wanna, I want you to really connect with today is that the resurrection assures us that Jesus is with us. The resurrection assures us that Jesus is with us even in our most difficult moments and our most difficult challenges. The resurrection declares that this Jesus is alive. He's not in a tomb. He's not somewhere that we can't access him. He's alive. His spirit is within us. And because he's alive, he's with us, which is why when Matthew 28 comes around and Jesus starts saying wild things like, and behold, I'm with you until the very end. Right? It means something. Why? Because he is not in a tomb. He's not a fake God. He's not a God that comes and says, I see you a little bit, but I'm going to give you a little encouragement, and then I'm going to send you on your way. He's a God that says, I'll let darkness overtake me so that I can overtake darkness, and in my victory, I'll be with you forever, forever and ever. The worst of what you encounter in this life, I'm present, I'm with you, and I've overcome it. That's what the resurrection tells us. I'm going to break this thing because I'm getting lit, right? But, but that's what the resurrection is communicating to us. Friend, let me, let me just lovingly tell you, if your perception of Jesus is singularly that he died to forgive you, then, friend, you're missing out on so much because he resurrected to free you. He resurrected to give you hope. He resurrected to bring you joy. His resurrection is the thing that we actually get caught up in, in the message of the gospel, to say there's something more, not just my forgiveness, but the world that Jesus is creating through his victory. And that's what we're invited to on this message, on, on this mission of, of the kingdom.
right, of, of what God is doing in the world. It's in his resurrection, friend. That's the foundation you have when you bring your feelings to God, not because we're simply saying, oh, God's going to coddle me, but it's because we actually get to say, God, I'm approaching you in forgiveness because you've forgiven me in your death. But I'm placing the depths of my anguish in your hands because it's only you that can say, I'll restore that. It's only you that can say, I'll restore, I'll bring healing. I, it may not be today. It may be that I walk with a limp my whole life. Some of you know exactly that feeling, but there is that promise, that, that echo in, in Revelation 21 that says, but there will be a day where you'll be my people and I'll be your God. And there'll be no more tears. There'll be no more hurt. There'll be no more pain. And then at the very end, Jesus, I'm not sure if we caught this part, but Jesus says, and write these words down. Why? Because they're true. Because they're true. The resurrection is truly, right, the, the anchor of the gospel. And this is the foundation that we build on when we come to God. This is the foundation that we build on when we come and, and lay our hearts before him. And so that's what, that's what I want us to do now. And allergies and a, and a lack of water getting me pretty good up here. I ain't going to lie to you. Um, what I want us to do is I want us to spend that time in these groups. Uh, and, and I want us to be assured, right, as we, as we approach God, that we're not approaching God just about forgiveness. Right? We're, not, we're doing more than that. We're approaching God and, and pouring our heart out uh, because we believe that he's victorious and we believe that in his hands he'll do more. And so, again, remember with, with grief and loss, we talked about the fact that pouring our heart out may not look like us walking away and being immune to pain, right? But it may actually be looking at God and saying, like, God, return quickly because I I, I'm so sorrowful that the rest of my life is going to be tragic until you return. Right, even that, even that submission and, and, and humility is an act of saying, God, you, you have the victory and the power. Please come back because I can't withstand. If it's just that that you're gonna share today, right? If it's just that, even that sense of like, man, I'm struggling so hard that I gotta just ask God to return and just say, man, you, you claim to be victorious, so return to, to wipe away the, the pain of my heart, then do that. If it's something where it's like, hey, I think God can actually bring, like, like kind of bring healing today, then man, Approach them like that. But what I want to do is I want you to take this idea and I want it to anchor your heart and then I want us to break up into these groups and I want to give us some prompts to kind of start a conversation and then after we have that conversation for a little bit, I want us to go to the Lord in prayer and I want us to just approach him and to pray for one another and to pray for ourselves and to just come to him and actually start to try to learn what it is to pour out our heart before God. And so that's what we're going to do today. Don't be freaked out. That's not a weird thing. We're doing what the church is supposed to do. You're just freaked out because you're used to church being me up here talking. And y'all hear me talk a lot. So that's good that y'all are going to hear me talk. In addition, when you're praying, uh, can we go to that, that, um, that, yeah, 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 there we go. <laughs> For the gen uh, thank you, because I didn't know what I, what I wrote up here. Um, the first couple of minutes are going to be this. We're just going to spend 10 minutes or so sharing where you are emotionally, whether that's recent struggles or whether in this series you've realized like there's some themes emotionally for you, right? Maybe you're given to sorrow. Maybe you're given to anger. That's my camp right there, right? I'll be, I'll be getting angry off of anything. I stub my toe, like World War III is gonna go off. Um, and, and so if that's you, man, share that with somebody. This is gonna involve those first two steps, right? You're gonna have to identify some of your emotions you're going to have to evaluate some of your emotions. I mean, to examine some of your emotions, to say, like, I think this is why I get angry, but I think this is where this comes from. But, but spend some time sharing with one another for just 10 or 12 minutes. That means you don't have a ton of time. 
Uh, and then after that, we're going to spend some time in prayer, but we'll go over those instructions in a minute. And so let's just go ahead and try to divvy up as close to equal as we can here, right? And so, like, there's a section right there, right? I can see it. I don't know if you can see it, but I can see right, right there. And then I can see, like, right there. Then I can also see, like, right there. And I can see, like, right there, right? So, like, I don't know if you're catching what I'm putting down or you're picking it up. But, like, there's, like, four. Just kind of gather with people that are around you is what I'm saying to try to form any sort of small group that you can begin to share with and communicate with. And then we'll come back up about 10 to 12 minutes later and we'll continue on in our time, okay? All right, guys, I hope we ain't interrupting too much. And I'm sorry about that if we are. You don't have to be done sharing at this time, but I do want to invite those that have spent a little bit of time. I'm getting completely blown off right now, and I appreciate that a lot. That's what we were going after. All right, that's what we were after. When I was talking, and I quite literally had not one head looking at me, which is good. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. But now I'm talking a little louder, so I get your attention for just a minute, all right? So now you spend a couple of minutes starting to, and if you think about it again, this is, this is our process, right? We're identifying what we're feeling, and then we're trying to get working on this idea like, hey, where does this come from? Why do you feel that way? What I want us to do next is I want us to pray for one another. I want us to pray for one another. I want you to pray for guidance and for wisdom as we work through different feelings. I want you to pray for encouragement when there's discouragement. I want you to pray for confidence where there's a lack of confidence. I want you to pray for peace. I want you to pray for those things. And I want you to just come alongside of each other. So everyone's going to pray for, for the person that you're praying for. And then after everyone's prayed for you, as you're surrounded by a host of encouragement, I want you to pray for yourself after that. Because look at me. Everybody take a second and look at me. That's not wrong. The majority of the Psalms is David praying for himself, not for everybody else. And sometimes we in here thinking we're guilty because we just say, God, I really need help. And man, you are not guilty for that. That is exactly where God wants you to be, to see him and to see the depths of his mercy, to see where you are and to say, God, only you can be here with me. Save me, help me. So you're going to pray for yourself after that. Okay. Um, Let's spend some time. This is going to be pretty much the remainder of our time here. And so we'll take a little bit longer with this, and then I'll come up and, and pray. Uh, I'm going to try to do my best to make sure everyone gets prayed for and everything like that. So uh, I'm looking at, I mean, there could be some long-winded people in this, in long-winded prayers in, in the smaller groups. But I'm looking at this group and at that group because those are the two largest ones. And so I'm going to try to make sure everybody gets through here. If everybody gets through here, everybody should be through at the other spaces. Uh, and then we'll jump back up, and we'll, we'll close up, and then we'll, we'll continue on. Okay? All right. I love y'all. I ain't trying to interrupt you. I'm sorry. But we're going to go ahead and, and bring it back just a little bit. Uh, before we say just a closing prayer for today, I just want to remind you and encourage you um, that I believe this is what church is. We have a service that's a worship service. Right? We come together. We, we, we sing. We do a sermon, all that, all that good stuff. You don't got, you don't got like, these chairs ain't fixed in that position. You can leave them in a circle. You do whatever you want. Um, but that's what church is in the sense that it's a community of people saved by a living God who come together in the name of that living God in order to point each other to that living God over and over and over again. Until our last breath, 
where in our last breath we receive his breath and we just are alive again in him. And so praise God. Thank y'all for, for loving one another uh, and for coming together to, to rest and to, to seek out that living God. And so let's pray. We're going to go into a time of just a couple more songs and then we'll We'll close up for today. And so, Father, thank you so much that we pray not to a God that is in the grave, but a God who is alive. And you see us because your eyes are not blind nor closed, and you hear us because your ears are not deaf um, nor closed. Father, you, you, your hand is able to move because you are not wrapped in grave clothes, but, but freed and alive and able. And so you hear us, and you know us, and you see us, and you intercede because you are alive. Thank you, Father. Thank you that we are invited to pour out our heart before you to, to bring the fullness of who we are and what we've gone through and what that's done to our heart and the things that have been spurred up as a cause of that or, or, or because of that uh, and we're able to bring them to you because you relate to us and you know us uh, and so father we submit our our hands and our, our hearts and our minds and and our time and our talents and our treasures we give them to you knowing that that we follow a living God and so we ask for wisdom and we ask for guidance and we ask uh, that your spirit would move in our lives as we pursue you and as we continue to bring our emotions and our hearts and, and everything to you, continue to give us wisdom. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.